Thanks, Huey. Well, keep, please keep your Bibles open. And uh, you'll also find a bit of an outline of where we're going with this talk on the back of this uh, sheet that you received on the way in. This is very low tech. But what's the great thing about low tech? We all know. It works. Well, my name is Andrew, and uh, I want to start this morning by thanking God that we can gather for Easter once again. How good is that? The news reports on Friday night, uh, Good Friday night, were that the churches were full again after two years where it's uh, been COVID isolation and lockdown. In fact, where it's been a little bit like this. There you go. My kids said, don't show that. Uh, old people don't understand memes, but you guys did well. Now, if you are a visitor here this morning, you're especially welcome. If you've been doing church online, uh, as many of us have been over the last period, and you're just beginning to come back to church, it's great to see you. It's fantastic we can be here together. And if you're still online, joining us online this morning because you're isolating, we love you, and our thoughts are with you this morning. Let's pray before we go any further. Gracious God, we thank you for our community here at church. We thank you that we can gather this day and rejoice together and celebrate the risen Lord Jesus. And as we reflect on that first Easter Sunday, as we listen to your word, we pray that you, that you will speak to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been reminded in that uh, fantastic video at the start today, and also as Huey's read God's word for us, we've been reminded again of that first Easter day. What incredible events. Can you imagine being there that first morning? Mary goes to the tomb very early and discovers Jesus' body is missing. It's gone. She runs for the others, and they hear her breathless report. It's unbelievable. Uh, but Peter and John run to see for themselves, and it's true. Uh, but John says in verse 9, you'll see there, they still don't really understand what it is that's going on. Mary's distressed. She lingers at the tomb. She weeps. We didn't read this part. But through her tears, Jesus appears to her in person. She's overjoyed, and again she runs back to tell the others what she's seen. Now, can you imagine what they are feeling as they gather together there in verse 19? Uh, it's night time, they've gathered together, uh, the door is locked. What a mixture of emotions. Astonishment, joy, fear, uh, bewilderment, anticipation, anxiety, excitement, maybe confusion. And of course, the last time they were all gathered together we hear about in chapter 14 of John's gospel. Uh, and on that occasion, the last time they were together, Jesus was with them. And that night they were distraught because Jesus was explaining to them that he had to go and where he was going, they could not follow. Of course, he was then betrayed, arrested and crucified. So this time as they gather again, tentatively, the door is very much locked. John tells us that. They are still very much afraid of those leaders who only a couple of days before have arrested Jesus and uh, scattered them and then put him to death. So fair enough. Of course, they're scared. Well, this time, Jesus' body's just disappeared that day. Mary says she's seen him alive. Uh, she's spoken with him. So they've gathered just to be together. 
to talk, to process, to try and make sense of it all. What an extraordinary day it's been, that first Easter day. And then suddenly, I love the way they captured this on the video earlier, suddenly Jesus is there, standing amongst them with a locked door. Peace be with you, he says. I notice they don't all respond, um, and also with you. Um, sorry, that was an Anglican joke, just thought I'd throw that in. Um, John says they were overjoyed to see him. What an understatement that must be. Now, it's a passage that never gets tired, uh, and the more you think about these events, the more incredible they are. As we read, it's so simply stated, but so incredibly powerful as we wonder at the magnitude of what has happened for Jesus' disciples that day. And as we celebrate with them, as we share their joy this morning, 2,000 years later. Yet I think if we're honest, we'd also have to admit that there are times that we share the disciples' joy, and there are also times when we share the disciples' doubts and their fears. Maybe a lot, maybe just a little, but Mary, John, Peter, Thomas, as we'll hear, all had to wrestle with their doubts over what had happened, and so do we. So this morning I want to really think about the question of what do we do with doubt? What do we do with our doubts when we have them? How do we deal with them? Or maybe more importantly, how should we deal with our doubts? And I want to look at this passage and draw great encouragement from Jesus. Let's look again at the passage. Look there at verse 20. After Jesus greets them, the first thing he does is he shows them his hands and his side. Have you ever stopped and reflected on that? He offers them evidence. He offers them proof so they can know who he is. And it's worth noting the order that John includes there for us. After Jesus shows them the evidence, after they see the proof, then they really rejoice. See, I imagine when he first appeared, they would have been scared witless. That's a little bit of an understatement too, perhaps. A man that you saw killed publicly by people who were pretty good at it. Uh, you saw his dead body taken down and put into the grave, and then that guy suddenly appears in your midst in a locked room. And the first thing Jesus does is shows them proof of who he is. He gives them the data they need. You see, he understands them. He understands their need to know. Jesus doesn't expect them to suspend rational thought. He, he expects them to process the information and understand what has really happened, and he facilitates that. Now, isn't that brilliant? Isn't that reassuring? I think it is, that Jesus knows that we need to understand and I love, too, his response to Thomas. Now, not everybody was there that first night, and John tells us that Thomas wasn't there. We don't know why. But later, when the others tell him about what's happened, and they try to convince him that they've seen Jesus raise from the dead, well, fair to say, he had his doubts. Verse 25, there, he says, Unless I see in his hands, place my fingers in his side, I will never believe. That's a strong statement. So the question I want us to think about is, was Thomas sinning? Doubting Thomas. He gets, he's had a bad rap the last 2,000 years, hasn't he, the old uh, Thomas? But was Thomas sinning at that point? No, I don't think that was sin. 
In fact, I think he was being perfectly reasonable. His friends are making an impossible claim. And as much as Thomas might have wanted to believe it was true, he was not ready to believe until he had the evidence. Now, to be fair, Mary had found the empty tomb. Peter and John had seen the linen grave clothes discarded. And, and even then, John says they still didn't really understand what was happening. Jesus even spoke to Mary. And at first, her brain didn't even allow her to recognise who he was. You see, doubt is not sin. Unbelief is sin. Now, Jesus was aware of Thomas's doubt. And one week later, when he appears again, it's a very similar scene, but this time Thomas is there with them. And I really want to focus on the way Jesus handles things here. See, he doesn't get cross with Thomas. Uh, he doesn't tell him off or anything like that. But Jesus goes straight to Thomas and offers him proof, the same proof he offered the others a week before. He confronts Thomas's doubt at its roots. He shows him his wounds so that Thomas can know that it really is him. And immediately, Thomas knows it's all true. It all falls into place. He gets the evidence. His doubts vanish and he says, my Lord and my God. Well, how does any of this help us this morning, 2,000 years later, I hear you say? Indeed, you might have heard people say, or you might have said yourself, perhaps in, out loud or in your heart, you might have said, if Jesus could just reveal himself to me, if he could just offer real proof of his existence, like he did for Thomas. I'm not sure if you've ever thought that. Well, if you have, I've got bad news, because we're told in the Bible that Jesus won't return again until he comes to judge. So we cannot expect to have an experience anything like Thomas's of seeing and touching the risen Lord Jesus. But if you've ever doubted if it was all true, the claims of Jesus, was he really God? If you've ever doubted the claims of the witnesses, did he really rise again? Maybe you've had even bigger doubts. Did God really make the world? Is God even there? I've got to confess, I've had those kinds of uh, doubts many times in my life. I think we all have. Come and correct me later if I'm wrong and you never have. I think we all have had doubts. But that is not sin. It's just doubt. And we've all been there at some time. So what should we do? Well, it's good to know this morning, it's good to be reminded that Jesus is not angry with us for doubting. He understands it, but he wants us to deal with those doubts and he wants us to believe. You see, Thomas believed because he saw and he touched, but we are not going to have that luxury. So where can we get assurance? Where can we get the data? What is our evidence if Jesus is not going to turn up and show us his hands and side? Well, John tells us, he anticipates the question, he tells us right there in verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. 
So even as the Apostle John wrote these words many decades later, he knew that the time for seeing Jesus in person had passed. That was a special privilege, a special place, a special time for the Apostles and the other witnesses to Jesus. But John knew that a time was coming where people wouldn't even be able to talk to the eyewitnesses like him. So he wrote this down. He wrote these verses for us, that we might believe and through our belief have life. Well, you see there on the outline, I think there are two big mistakes that I see uh, that we make with doubt. And these mistakes are kind of at opposite ends of a spectrum, but they're both a problem. They're both dangerous. I think the first mistake we can make when we think about doubt is the one I've talked about a bit tonight, uh, this morning rather, is to say that doubt is sin, to think that doubt is wrong. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an unacceptable weakness for real Christians to doubt. The problem with this is then when we do feel doubts, uh, we feel guilty or we feel deficient in some way. We think, oh, no one else has doubts. I must be the only one. What's wrong with me? And it creates a culture where no one is game to admit they have doubts. So that our culture means we can't talk about it, our doubts fester, and I think that's unhealthy and wrong. If I can't talk about my doubts with fellow Christians, if I can't ask my deepest questions and find answers, it will be impossible for me to get those doubts resolved. Clearly, that's not what John had in mind when he wrote. He wants us to get answers. He writes so that we might know the answers. The other problem is sort of at the other end of the spectrum. It's the opposite problem. And this is something I see a little bit. It's to kind of think that doubt is really cool. Uh, and people make this mistake, and I think it's growing in popularity. I'm not sure why. Uh, this idea that we almost put doubt on a pedestal and say, oh, that's great. You know, we're impressed by Christians who seem to doubt everything. There's this idea that, well, we just can't know. It's all a great mystery. I think that seems kind of really spiritual and thoughtful and deep. Maybe there's uh, so many competing things going on that we like to say, well, there's this and there's that, you know, on the one hand, but on the other hand. Perhaps we admire the kind of apparent intellectualism of that, the way we kind of rub our chin and think, ooh, wonder what the answer might be. Maybe it's because we live in a world of tolerance and pluralism where it seems a bit too harsh, a bit mean, uh, to be too black and white about anything. I don't know. But this trendy, postmodern kind of idea of we can't know anything is also unhealthy and it's also wrong. It feeds our doubt rather than deals with our doubt. So what we really want to be doing is moving through doubt to belief. And if we look again at the way Jesus dealt with Thomas, we can see that doubting is accepted as normal and human. Doubt is not sin. But also, doubt is not the goal. It's not something we should strive for or remain in. It's something we need to move through. Jesus says, move on from doubt, Thomas. Don't stay there. Look at the facts. Deal with your doubt and believe. In verse 29, Jesus says to us, anticipating this day that John writes for, Jesus says, blessed are those who have seen 
sorry, who have not seen, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now that's an amazing affirmation uh, from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you believe in the risen Lord Jesus, even though you haven't seen him, even though you haven't touched him like Thomas and the others, you are blessed. Isn't that fantastic? You see, the goal of Christianity, the goal of following Jesus is life, eternal life. And the way to life is through belief, through faith. Doubting won't get you anywhere. Doubting is not a goal. It's a means to the end. But the end is greater belief. Doubt shouldn't be feared, nor is it a place to reside. So I just want to end with this last point. It's not on your outline. I left it off. I think that's probably my fault. I wanted to end with this last, this last point, asking your questions. As I look back on my Christian life, the times of greatest, greatest growth for me have been the times when I've been prepared to question and seek answers. I used to work uh, in a, 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 a program called Year 13, which was a gap year for school leavers. And one of my colleagues there, his name was Andrew Hudson, a great friend, uh, he had a catch cry for our students. It became famous at Year 13, and Zoe's here, she could attest to this. Andrew said, never be afraid of questions, because questions lead to the truth. So I want to leave you this morning with a challenge. If you have doubts, when you have doubts, what are you going to do about those doubts? Are you going to be embarrassed by them, push them down, pretend you don't have them, that they don't exist? Are you going to pretend it doesn't really matter that much and just sort of press on and get comfortable with your doubt? Or are you going to ask your questions? Ask your questions and meet your doubts head on. Deal with your doubt. I'm going to end with, we're going to have a proper testimony in a minute, but here's my testimony on doubt. I've been a conscious Christian for about 45 years. I know, I'm a young man. Uh, and I, I have uh, a couple of university degrees, one in science, one in education. I've been through a lot of interesting things in my life. I grew up in rural New South Wales and uh, learned a bit about life on the other side of the tracks. Uh, I was in the Navy for almost 14 years and did a lot of interesting things and met a lot of amazing people in that context. I've worked in churches, I've worked in not-for-profits, I've worked with youth, I've worked with older people in aged care. And I'm currently a chaplain with the Australian Defence Force and also the New South Wales Police Force. So I've experienced many difficult things and I've walked alongside people who have experienced difficult things and had many doubts and I've had plenty of doubts and questions myself. And my conviction for what it's worth is this, that if the Bible is true, it can stand up to your questions. And my testimony is it's always been, up, been able to stand up to mine. So do not doubt, but believe, says Jesus. And John says, these things are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have given us inquiring minds that doubt and question 
and also you've given us the ability to understand and believe. We thank you that you haven't left us in the dark, but you've revealed to us through John and the apostles all we need to know. Help us believe that Jesus is your son, the risen saviour, so that by believing we may have life in his name. Amen.